Thank you, Paul. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everybody. And before we dive into our text today, I just want to uh, mention that three weeks from today, Connections Hour starts, and we're very, very excited about that. And as a leadership team, we're really excited about our new Sunday school curriculum um, for children. And uh, Jeff had sent out an email kind of discussing it a little bit, and I just wanted to highlight that just briefly. I will say, Jeff, are you here? You know, we uh, love acronyms and whatnot uh, when we're preaching and all that. And, and uh, Jeff sent out this acronym that says the curriculum is consistent, starts with a C, I, it's informed, resourced, starts with an R, and B, it's biblical theology based. So it's C I R B, curb. And I was thinking if you just switch the I and the R around, it would be crib, which I think would be appropriate for our children's uh, Sunday school curriculum. So anyway. But the C, it's consistent. It's, a, it's each week, each student at each grade level will learn the same Bible lesson at age-appropriate levels. It's informed. Parents will, will give you the lesson schedule um, and will keep it before you on Sundays so you can always know what your children are learning. It's resourced. The lessons are based on a children's Bible that we have available for you to purchase. It's this Bible right here. It's uh, in our library, but J.D. would tell you I'm very slow at returning books, and we've had this and been reading it to Mackenzie at night. It's awesome. The stories are very rich. Uh, the Bible story is very true to the scripture. Each uh, story brings in the gospel message. The Old Testament points to Christ. And we know that all the, all the promises of the Old Testament find their fulfillment in Christ. And so it's very, very faithful to that. Um, and the biblically theology-based lessons move from Genesis to Revelation demonstrating how the gospel of Jesus is throughout the entire Bible. So I'm, we're going to actually return it today, so we'll put it back there and you can look at it, but we're very, very excited. Uh, and also there's a, a family devotional that will go along with this that you can have at home um, and you can reinforce what your kids are learning and you can be blessed by it also because the gospel is applicable for all of us. It's the message of the Bible. It's what saves us. It's what changes us. It's what strengthens us. Um, and it's simple, but it's deep, and it's, it's just awesome. So have a look at this, and we're just excited uh, to get started with that. So on the way to church today, we saw a sign on a convenience store that has nothing to do with the sermon, but I, I thought it was interesting. It says, we have live bait here. Enjoy our iced coffee. So I'm going to talk to my friends at Starbucks about getting that flavor. <laughs> So let's pray before we jump into our text. Father, we are so grateful for you. We thank you for the, the joy of laughter. We thank you for the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ that uh, gives us hope and um, that changes us on the inside and that continues to change us as we walk by faith with him, with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I was just thinking this morning, actually, I was getting ready to come this morning about the word change and, and what that's all about. And I was thinking this sermon would actually be a good sermon for the beginning of the year when we're all thinking about change and New Year's resolutions and all that. And I think about that, you know, we, we say, I'm going to lose 15 pounds this year and I'm going to start working out and I start to do that and I'm going to watch what I'm eating and, and I'm very diligent to start doing that. And after about a week or two, I'm confronted by a beautiful looking chocolate cake donut and I decide I'm going to lose 15 pounds in the next 
18 months. You know, we kind of push it off and we, it, it's hard to keep that staying power. And um, Peter's going to show us today that the change that God produces in us through the gospel is a permanent change. And yet we are called to work with God, so to speak, by faith in our day-to-day walk as he is continuing to change us day by day, transforming us. That's what we call sanctification as we grow in our faith in Christ. And ultimately, one day when Christ returns or when we die and enter into his presence, we'll be changed forever, eternally changed, beautifully changed, no more sin or death to ever deal with. And that's what I'd like to talk about today from our, our passage in Second Peter. We could say that there's two types of change. There's circumstantial or external and spiritual or internal. Circumstantial would be the things in our lives such as moving or getting married or changing jobs, relationship changes, health changes, losing loved ones or even our own death. And some of these things and most of these things are inevitable as life is in a constant flow. From the time we were born, our bodies are getting older. We don't see that when we are young, but as we get older, we recognize it more and more. I know now that when I mow the lawn, I get sore at the end of the day, and I'm thinking I shouldn't be getting sore from just mowing my lawn, but I see that, and I didn't used to feel that way. So we know that we are, our bodies are changing. These are circumstantial or external changes, and they, they affect all of us, and, and some of these we have absolutely no control over. Now, there's also spirit, the spiritual side of things. That would be the internal side of things. That would be how we actually engage the external. And this is how uh, uh, we can deal with life. And we, we, we are, if we're on a good foot, footing on the internal side, then we can be able to engage the external with confidence and victory and joy. And if we're right with God and know he's in control of all the external things in our lives, we can walk by faith in him and rejoice in him no matter what we are facing. The greatest external change we all have to face is death. Hebrews 9.27 confirms this when he says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Why? Why judgment? Why do we all have to die? Romans 3.23 tells us all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God created the world and everything in it, and, it, and he said it's good. He created man and woman. He said they're very good. But man rebelled against God's clear order to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told him that when he did that, he would die. Man rebelled. Sin entered the world and death through sin. Spiritual death, which is separation from the spirit from God. And eventually physical death, which is separation from the spirit from the body. And because all of us are are children of Adam and Eve, we share in their sinful nature. And by that nature, we rebel against God in our daily lives by choosing to go our own way instead of his way. We are dead in our sin, dead to God. We are dead spiritually. We need a radical internal change to be rescued from this state, and God has provided the only way, and only God can bring about this radical change. Before God ever created anything, he planned and determined that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, to pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus was perfect. He never sinned once. He was the perf- in, in his perfection, he offered himself up as a sacrifice for our sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We know that after three days, he rose again, conquering death, and then he ascended back into heaven where he reigns at the Father's right hand. 
And one day soon he's coming again in glory completely to, to completely unite all things of creation under his banner. He will bring the new heavens and the new earth in which there will be no more sin or death ever again. There, there is only one way for the radical change to take place inside of us, and that's through faith in Christ. And because of that, the, the devil opposes this gospel with vengeance. And one of the main ways that he does it is through false teaching. Teachers that promote any other way of salvation than through faith in Christ. And in Peter's second epistle, he's warning the reader of the dangers of false teaching. He starts the book off by describing this powerful internal change that God does in the believer's life through the gospel, and he calls the believer to put his faith into action. He tells them that Christ is coming again and that the false teachers will deny this and try to persuade them to follow their own sinful desires. But Peter says, follow Christ. The reward is great. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming, and those who belong to Christ will partake in it. So external change is inevitable, but internal change is necessary to victoriously engage the external and to joyfully enter God's kingdom that endures forever. So change is necessary for salvation. We must be born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus. A fundamental change needs to occur inside of us. We must be born of the Spirit through faith in Christ alone. If this change never takes place, then that person We'll experience eternity apart from God. In a new birth, we go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive, and that's what Peter will talk about in the first four verses, which I've entitled The Change. But change is also necessary for growth. Once we have been born again, we begin a new walk with Christ. We're born again, and we have a new nature, but we still carry our old sinful nature too, and it's a battle. We must, by God's Holy Spirit, follow Christ daily by choosing to say no to our flesh and yes to the Spirit, and we are active participants with God in this process. And Peter expounds on that in verses 5 through 11. And as we continue in this process with God in, in, in the power of the Spirit, we will one day enter into Christ's presence in his eternal kingdom, and there will be eternally changed in the image of Jesus Christ. And that's the second point of our outline, the changing so before we dive into the passage, let me ask you this question. Is there anything in your life that you would like to see change internally? Or maybe a better way to ask it is, what areas of your life would you like to grow in? And I believe that today's passage gives us great hope for change. If you don't know Christ, this passage is for you. But if, if you do know him, this passage is also for you, because it's all about being born again, being changed by God, and then walking with him and seeing that change as we walk with him. So let's look at these first four verses and talk about the change, the new birth that occurs. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I absolutely love these verses. They're so powerful. 
They show the, the change that God produces in us through the gospel. When we truly think about this, it should humble us as we drink in the depths of these verses. Our salvation transforms us from being self-seeking, sinful people who belong to a corrupt world to those who are now partakers of the divine nature, and now we belong to his, his eternal glory and kingdom. These verses are describing the new birth that the believer in Christ experiences through faith alone in Christ alone, and how his new birth will produce a new way of life. It is completely the work of God in our souls, and it's received by faith in Christ. And these verses show very powerfully that we owe our salvation totally and completely to the sovereign grace and sovereign power of God. In verses 1 and 2, we see that the faith we have in Christ is a gift of God. Sometimes it's easy to gloss over the introduction to an epistle and miss some really deep devotional truths, but Peter's writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. The word for obtained is very interesting. It's the Greek word lankano. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, Steve, but try. <laughs> it means to obtain by lot. It is the same word used in Luke 1, verse 9, that speaks of Zechariah being chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. We are incapable on our own to generate faith in Christ. We are, in our lost state, are dead in sin. There's a great mystery in this because we are called to repent and place our faith in Christ, and we must do this, but we also have to humbly acknowledge that it's only possible in the power of God and the sovereign grace of God. So we see that this speaks of the sovereignty of God and our salvation. And it's consistent with Peter's uh, wording. In a few verses, he'll say that it's God's divine power that grants us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And since faith in Jesus is what saves us and gives us eternal life, then it would be consistent to say that even the faith to believe in Jesus is a gift from God. And Paul says that in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. He says we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. So believer, rest in Jesus while you do humbly praise him for granting you the faith to believe in him. If you've never heard and you've never trusted in Jesus, don't let the mystery of faith keep you from coming because the same Paul who through the Holy Spirit said that faith is a gift of God also in response to the Philippian jailer when he said, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So we're commanded to believe. It's God's power that enables us to do so. It's also interesting to note that all believers are equal in God's eyes. We tend to compare ourselves to Peter and Paul and all the greats of the Bible, but he tells us we as believers in Christ are in equal standing with one another. And why is that? Because it's based on the perfect and finished work of Christ and his righteousness. We stand before God by faith in Christ alone, and his right standing with God is ours by faith. And this passage right here is a very, very powerful verse that speaks about the deity of Christ. He says this, righteousness is the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is here described as our God and Savior. So there's no doubting about this. It's very clear that Jesus Christ is God. His right standing, his righteousness with God the Father is given to us by faith. It further shows, again, the sovereign gift of God in our salvation. And then in verse 2, we see 
in uh, Peter's greeting, grace and peace are multiplied to us through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He's saying that grace and peace with God comes through the gospel. From start to finish, the grace of God through the work of Christ on our behalf. In John 1, John said of his fullness, of Christ's fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. Let's look at verse 3 and we see that his divine power gives us everything we need for salvation and sanctification through the gospel. Notice what kind of power it is that moves on us. It's divine power. This is the omnipotent power of God. And think about God's power for a moment. By his word, by just speaking, he spoke the universe into existence. Tim Chester, in his book, You Can Change, makes these observations about God's power. If you were to travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, you would encircle the earth seven times in one second and pass the moon in two seconds. At this speed, it would take you 4.3 years to reach our nearest star and 100,000 years to cross our galaxy. There are thought to be at least 100 billion galaxies in the universe. It would take 2 million light years to reach the next closest galaxy and 20 million to reach the next cluster of galaxies. And we've only just scratched the surface of the universe. God did all of this just by speaking a word. That's his power to create. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus not only created all things, he holds the universe together. And Hebrews 1.3 says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not one atom or molecule is missing. And not one purpose of his can be thwarted. And then the Gospels show us over and over again Jesus' power over disease and demonic uh, powers and death. Remember how he raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and then consider how after dying on the cross for our sins, he conquered death by rising again. And then in his divine power, he ascended into heaven. This is the divine power that Paul talks about that works towards us as believers. And he's praying for the believers in Ephesians 1. He wants them to understand what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And that's the power that works towards us. It's amazing. So what is it his divine power has granted to us? Peter tells us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That is everything that's necessary for us to enter into eternal life, which includes the faith that saves us, and everything that we need for godliness, which is our walk, our daily walk with Christ, our sanctification, or our growing in faith. So we lack nothing. So we can change. We can embrace Christ by faith and be changed by his grace from death to life, and we can grow in our faith by him, in him, by his power. So how does he do this? He says it is through the knowledge of him. This is the gospel, the knowledge of Christ. Peter's writing to those who are surrounded by false teachers that are proclaiming alternate ways to the spiritual experience. And Peter says over and over, the only way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and through faith and trust in him. 
This would tell us that life and godliness, salvation and sanctification or growth is by faith through the gospel. We never move away from the gospel in our Christian lives. It's the beginning, it's the middle, and it's the culmination of our salvation. Now notice also in verses 3 and 4, through the gospel he calls us and transforms us from a sinful realm and our sinful nature to his glorious kingdom and his divine nature. Through the gospel he calls us to his own glory and excellence. What is he talking about here? What, once again, if, if we drop down later in, in, in the first chapter of 2 Peter, uh, Peter's recounting the experience he had in the transfiguration of seeing Christ transfigured uh, on the mountain where he saw his second coming glory. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I can only imagine Peter's excitement when he's writing this. He must have been going out of his mind just trying to make them understand, I have seen it. I have seen Christ's second coming glory. It's worth it. Follow Christ. You will not be disappointed. And I really think that too often in our Christian lives that, that we, we live our Christian lives with a very low view of God's glory. And, I, I, and I'm speaking to myself. We need to elevate our glory. And I thought about this. If, think about one of the most beautiful places on earth that, that you like to visit, maybe on vacation. Uh, we love to go to Colorado, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. We honeymooned out there. And I was just thinking about this. If, if you thought about that place and you went, we like to go hiking and you're on a path. But imagine if you're hiking and you're walking like this, looking at the path the whole time and you're walking along. You say, oh, that's a nice rock. Oh, there's a squirrel. And you walk and you walk and you walk and you never look up to see the glory and the majesty around you. And I think that's what we do. We, we tend to look down at our circumstances. And once again, I'm speaking to myself and we get overwhelmed by what's going on in our lives and we don't look up and see the glory of God on display and realize that he's using whatever it is in my life to change me into the image of Christ. So he calls us to his own glory and majesty. And as believers in Christ, we are headed for a future of unspeakable joy. So we have to have a right mindset, and we, and we have to work at it to remind ourselves daily of the glory of Christ and the gospel and the power of God that's on display in our lives and face each day that way. Not only does he call us through the gospel, but he transforms us through the gospel. Verse 4 says, By which referring to the gospel, call to his own glory and majesty. He has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. God determined before the foundation of the world that the gospel would be the means by which he would redeem men and women from their sins and restore the world from the corruption that came into the world through the sin of Adam. And then throughout the Old Testament he promised that he would send the Messiah to do this. Genesis 3.15 is the first messianic promise that's given, and throughout the whole Old Testament, more and more is, unf uh, is unfolded about who the Messiah would be. 
In Genesis 12, God promised Abraham that through his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. In Galatians 3, 7-9, Paul confirms that this message to Abraham is in fact the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So through believing in the promise of Jesus, we are blessed with salvation. The one main promise that's accompanied this promise is the one that would enable us to become partakers of the divine nature. And that sheds light on the fact that Peter tells us that we have everything that we need for life and godliness. Continue with, continue with Paul in Galatians. He says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And now here's, here's the, the point. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So there is the promise. The promise that brings regeneration. The promise that brings us eternal life and now enables us to live a life of godliness. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to live for Jesus. He's also the one who seals us and guarantees us for eternity, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 1. So we become partakers of the divine nature immediately at salvation by the fact that the Holy Spirit now lives in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory, Paul said in Colossians 1. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's so incredible to think about that God's presence in the Old Testament dwelt in the temple in the Holy of Holies, and now he dwells in us. It's glorious to think about. It's, it's majestic. It's humbling. Brothers and sisters, do we realize what we possess? Do we realize the greatness of the God of the universe is manifested in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our very bodies, in our very lives. And once again, I say, I'm talking to myself. I don't think we think about this enough. I'm too often bogged down in my thinking about my circumstances. I'm too quick to accept spiritual weaknesses as just being the way I am rather than saying the Holy Spirit lives in me and I can change. And we can all change because the God of the universe has changed us. And he is, by his power, continuing to change us day by day. So there's a present reality to being partakers of the divine nature and an ongoing transformation into his nature that we are going, going towards. And Paul, again, in Colossians 3, 9 and 10 says this. He says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed, in knowledge after the image of its creator. <clears throat> Notice we have a new self, we are born again, and we are being renewed in knowledge, which is as we meditate on and apply the gospel in our lives, and we're being renewed at the image of Christ. And this is what the 
what we call the process of sanctification or growth. It's our day-by-day walk with Christ that we are partaking in through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter's going to show us that in verses 5 through 11, that we take an active part in this process in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the final part of verse 4 is a reminder to us of where we came from. He says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through sinful desire. We were slaves to sin. We were dead in our sins. We followed the way of the world, the way of the prince of this world. We were lost in our sin. We were powerless to change. But God in his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the gospel, through Christ. He's called us out of the world and transformed us into his kingdom. And he's made us partakers of his divine nature. And he's continuing to transform us day by day until the day of eternity. So I ask us all the question again, what is it in your life, what is it in my life, what area would you like to see change? What area do you want to grow in? Our circumstances might not ever change but we can change on the inside and how we engage those circumstances. And if we've placed our faith in Christ and his divine power has given us everything we need to change. So how do we do it? We first need to think rightly about God and who he is and who we are. And we need to elevate our view of God. We need to have a high view of God and a humble view of ourselves. We need to see him in his glory and see Christ crucified and risen on our behalf. And we need to come to him daily as desperate sinners in need of grace. And if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Christ, that's where you need to start. You need to turn from your sin. You need to turn from trying to earn your own way to God. You must, by his power, place your faith in him. And then you will be born again. And you will have forgiveness of sins. And again, it's only in God's power that that can be done. And if you know Jesus and you're feeling defeated or you see areas of your life that you want to grow in and you just cannot see how you're going to do it, then again it starts with changing our thinking. And it comes to realizing that you have everything you need in Christ to walk with him. And that brings us to verses 5 through 11, the changing. And this is the practical living out of the godliness that he mentioned in verse 3. This is the believer in the power of God working out his salvation, as Paul talked about in Philippians 2. As we do these things in faith, we are being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. So let's look at these verses together. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. 
For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to make seven observations from this passage for us to consider about how we participate with God in this process of our changing and our growing and our faith in Christ. The first one is this. Because of this amazing work of God in our souls that we just talked about in verses 1 through 4, we are called to action. Notice he says, for this very reason. In light of the fact that God has radically changed us by his divine power through the gospel, in light of the fact that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, in light of the tremendous calling we have to Christ's glory, in light of the fact that we now are partakers of the divine nature through the presence of the Holy Spirit, in light of the fact that we were enslaved to our own sinful desires, but now we've been given a new nature, in light of the fact that we belong to the corrupt world that was in rebellion against God, but now we belong to his glorious kingdom, in light of all we just talked about in verses 1 to 4, we must take action. We cannot sit and not move forward in Christ. And then he says we must make every effort. The Christian life is hard work. It's not easy. It requires tremendous spiritual effort and energy. That's why Peter, in First Peter, describes it as war. He says, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Paul speaks of the spiritual battle in Ephesians 6. Galatians 5, he also talks about the battle of the flesh and the spirit. He says that the spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another. And that's not going away until we get to glory. We are in a daily, moment-by-moment -moment spiritual battle, and we make every effort to engage life in the power of the Holy Spirit. What are we to do? Peter's going to get very practical. We are to make every effort to add to our faith to supplement our faith. That doesn't mean that we add anything to the gospel. It means that we have placed our faith in Christ and now we're going to build our life upon that faith in Christ and upon Christ himself, Christ who is the cornerstone. We are active participants in this process through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says the same thing in Galatians 5 after he lists the fruits of the Spirit. And I've always thought that kind of sounds passive. Oh, the Spirit's just going to bear fruit in me. But he says, if we live by the Spirit, if we've been born again, just like Peter says in verses 1 through 4, let us walk in the Spirit. And it's the same thing Peter says. Verses 1 through 4 is being born again. We live by the Spirit, and Peter's going to get very practical. This is, how we, this is how we live it out. He says to supplement your faith, to add to it. And all of these things that he adds, says we need to add to our faith, they're all linked together. It starts with faith, and it ends in love. And Paul, and Paul said that the true Christianity, being in Christ, is faith working through love. So let's just briefly look at these uh, qualities that Peter says to add to our faith. I like to call them faith qualities. First one is virtue. Virtue is moral energy, the power that performs deeds of excellence. Knowledge is understanding truth properly, comprehended and applied taking the gospel in our daily lives and, and, and applying it by faith and saying, how does the gospel affect this situation? How does the gospel affect how I respond to this situation? Self-control, it's holding oneself in. It's saying no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. Steadfastness is spiritual staying power. It's following through in faith. Godliness is live, living reverently and loyally and obediently to God. 
Brotherly affection is, phile- is the Greek word phileo, which is emotional love, and it's based on companionship and communication and cooperation. It's a tender affection that we should have for one another. And finally, love, which is the Greek word agape, and this is the self-sacrificing matter of the will, and this is the love of God that, places, that God places in the heart of the believer. Romans 5, 5, that he says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. So faith is always working through love. Love for God and love for others. And as we live out our faith and love, we are being transformed into the image of Christ. And once again, these things are hard to live out in the day-to-day struggles of life. But God's divine power has granted us everything we need to do this. And when we blow it, we, we come right back to the gospel. We're always living in the presence of Christ, living in the gospel, and we have continual forgiveness, continual cleansing, and we extend that forgiveness to one another. So God has given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us all his promises in Christ, and we are enabled by the Holy Spirit to add these things to our faith, to build upon our faith. So we might say, I I can't do this. I I can't love this person. I can't overcome this sin. I can't get over my fears. I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive this person. Yes, we can. For in the gospel, God has given us everything that we need to do it. So as we are adding to our faith these qualities, we are by the power of the Holy Spirit taking part in the changing process that God has us in. And we are in the power of the Holy Spirit in the process of sanctification or growth. It's encouraging to know, in verse 8, we see that we are a work in progress. He says, for if these qualities are yours and increasing. Every believer possesses these qualities. We see them to some degree in our life. um, And we need to give God the glory for that, for the presence of these qualities. But the fact that he says that they are yours and increasing implies that there's room for growth. And I find that very encouraging. Because we're not perfect when we come to Christ. We bring a lot of baggage with us. And it takes time through the Holy Spirit to work through some of that. But we should see a gradual increase in these qualities in our lives. The fact is that he talks about them increasing, again, surely means that we all have room for growth. That is the changing process that we're all involved in through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can be encouraged. If you are discouraged by the sin you see in your life, rest in Jesus. You are a work in progress. But take action. Follow Jesus by practicing these qualities. And the presence of these faith qualities in the Christian life makes us fruitful and effective for the gospel. He says, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if I do see them in my life, then I'm going to be fruitful for the gospel. Fruit for Christ comes as we live day by day by faith. And as we are displaying these faith qualities, people are going to be blessed around us and God is going to be glorified. And Peter is all about lifestyle evangelism. By that I mean that as we live our lives, people look at our lives, they see something that's different, they want to know about it, and God gives us opportunity to share Christ with them. 1 Peter 2.12, he says, 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So as people see these things in our life, they're going to say there's something different about them. The world is watching us, and they need to see Jesus in us. And as they see these faith qualities in us, they will see that we're different, and then they'll ask, why are we different? And then Peter tells us to be ready. First Peter 3, he says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So when people see our lives that are different and we get in conversation with them, we can say, I do this because I love Jesus. Plain and simple. Verse 9, lack of these faith qualities comes from forgetting the gospel. He says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins, and it's easy to forget. And here is the need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day so we don't forget. These qualities from start to finish are built upon our faith in Christ. If we're not producing them, it's because we're not actively meditating on the gospel, nor are we applying it to our lives. And whether the person that he's talking to here is an actual believer who's forgotten or a person who's come in and and, and professed faith and, and looked like they were real, like Judas Iscariot, but then walked away. We don't know that from the passage, but either way, it's a dangerous position. We don't want to get lax in our walk with Christ. We are secure in our salvation from start to finish, but we never presume upon God. We must, by faith, follow Christ. And finally, in verses 10 and 11, Practicing these faith quality proves the reality of our salvation. In verse 10, he starts off with therefore, and it's, here comes the application. In light of all this truth, Peter's saying to do this, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Another way to say this would be to say, if you are producing these qualities by your faith in Christ, it proves you are a Christian. It proves you are called an elect. And we see the sovereignty of God here as he talks about election, and, and time's too short to dig into that doctrine, but it's, it, it, it's consistent with this passage as we see that God is the one who is, must move upon us to save us, and Paul talks about the fact that believers in Christ are chosen before the foundation of the world, but nowhere in Scripture are we told to sit around and just, oh, I don't know if I'm elect or not. We're called to faith. We're called to put our faith in Christ. And when we do that and we start to live out these qualities, we can say, yes, yes, I know that I'm elect because I see Christ in me and I'm trusting in him. So we see God's sovereignty in our salvation from start to finish. And this should leave us in a constant state of awe and humility before him. And as we are practicing these faith qualities, we won't not only won't we ultimately fall, but we will receive a glorious entrance into Christ's kingdom. He says, for in this way, by walking in faith and adding these qualities to our lives, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One day we will leave this earth, either through our death 
or through Christ returning, and then our change will be complete. And I just want to close with a, uh, words from John in 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So let's wrap it up. How can we then change? <clears throat> I believe it starts with a right mindset. We need to keep a high view of God and a humble view of ourselves. We're never going to be able to give God too much credit for our salvation. When we, we, when we believe in Jesus, we acknowledge God that by his grace he enabled us to do so. And then to remind ourselves to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. To wake up and say, God, I belong to you through Christ. Christ died for me and rose again. This is a new day, and I'm going to follow him in faith. I'm going to trust you to strengthen me. And we just keep reminding ourselves that, and we remind each other that. Thirdly, we remind ourselves of the promise of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the provision in the gospel of, of the Spirit of Christ to live in us. We need to remember that. Because oftentimes we'll wake up and we'll think about our day and we'll think, I don't know how I'm going to get through this day. I don't know what's ahead of me. And we can have great fears about that, but we can be reminded that the Spirit of Christ in us is very real. He is inside of us, and that moment we are never once out of the presence of Christ. And then finally, determined by faith in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to practice these faith qualities in our daily lives. And we want to give glory to God for the qualities that we do see and then realize that we have room for growth and ask God to help us and point them out. And say, God, there's, there's this thing called love and I'm struggling with this person. Would you enable me to love them? You've given me everything I need. I want to love them. And if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, then again, it starts realizing that God is holy, he's created you, and you are responsible and accountable to him. And nothing will ever, ever take away your sin except the blood of Christ. And you need to turn from trusting in anything other than Jesus, and you need to place your faith in him and trust in the power of God to change you. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you. We humbly uh, acknowledge who you are. You are holy. You are righteous. You are awesome in power. And we are sinners in need of grace. And you have made provision for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he died for us and that he rose again and that he's coming again. We thank you that your divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness and so through faith in Christ we have everything we need to follow him. We want to change. 
We want to bring glory to Christ as we're changed more and more into his image. And I want to pray for anybody here who, who has not trusted in Christ, who has trusted in their own abilities, their own power, or maybe somebody who's here that feels like their sin is so great that you couldn't forgive them, but you, you can. You forgive any sin in Christ when people come humbly and resting in you. I want to pray for the relationships in our body, Lord Jesus, that you would cause us to uh, add to our faith a brotherly affection and love that in Christ the world would look at us and see that we love one another, that they would see the unity that we have as the body of Christ, that they would be drawn to you as we preach the message of the gospel. We praise you, we thank you, we give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen.